podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, people, and welcome to Eurostars, man. It has been a while. Champions League is back. Man City, Bayern Munich. We've seen it all. You know, we've seen the chaos of, uh, well, today. We'll get into it. The referee, I'm hearing he looks like Leandro Trossard. I'm seeing all sorts (laughs) of stuff, you know. Bayern Munich, they tried, but it's not the same Bayern Munich as we can see. Real Madrid, Chelsea last night, Milan, Napoli, and of course, Inter Benfica was a cracker today as well. And of course, on this panel, it's a very, very strong panel. And Sani, first up, man, how you doing? No, I'm absolutely fantastic. You've got the starting five here. We're like the 1992 dream team. That's all I'm going to say. I can't wait for it, man. There's some big games that we need to talk through, some big results. I can't wait to get into it. 100%. We finally got, uh, I believe it's a Man City resident. On the it show is. now. So, oh, yeah. yeah we can. Awesome. I keep forgetting that. Uh, listen, we'll, yeah, that's we're another we're show. Like, you're not in it till next yeah. year, so we've got to stick to yeah, the Champions League yeah, tonight. This is the Champions League show, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> don't stress me out. Don't stress me out, man. I don't need any of that right now. But yeah, Sam, how you doing? And your team again, like, they're just like going from strength to strength. I know today, maybe we'll get into it, some injury concerns towards the end. But overall, like, Man City just on a roll. Yeah, I think we're just. We're just more of a complete team right now. I think Pepper's kind of looked at the last few years, and although we've been, you know, outstanding overall in the league and played some great football, and obviously been a really good team to win back-to-back Premier Leagues. There's been certain games, Champions League and the league as well, where we've just looked a little bit vulnerable at the back with Cancelo and, and Zinchenko back there, and I think this this time he's just he's just persisting with this. Four centre backs, you know, out and out defenders, players who can defend 1v1, players who can defend the box, players who are comfortable out of possession. And tonight was one of these Champions League away games where we just look comfortable without the ball, which isn't hasn't always been the case at all. Um, so yeah, I think that's a that's a big, big change, really. And we can we can play in more than one way, we're not just a possession team anymore. We can play possession ball if we need to, but you know, we can counter attack as well, like we saw for our goal tonight. De Bruyne, Haaland, Grealish, really good in transition. So, yeah, it's just that ability to mix it up, which we haven't really had before. Yeah, 100%. No, we'll and definitely now, get into man, it. I'm Ty, how are you feeling? This, this, this treble is looming. It really is. You know what? I'm just going to put it out there. I want City to win the league because I don't want to hear the Arsenal stuff. And then I don't want City to win the Champions League or FA Cup, of course. And then I get I get a bit of all the pies. City can win the league. They've done it plenty of times. I hear it. The free P I'm not really too bothered about. And I just don't want them to win the Champions League because that is the one where I feel like they can really sit on the top table and then say they've done they've done it all. Do you know what I mean? But um, fair play to them. Obviously, we'll get into it a bit more. But um, I thought it was a very professional display from them tonight. And I think also when you go into a game three 0 up, I think sometimes you can always concede a bit early and then it can get a bit nerve wracking. Of course, but 
they look like they learned from that Madrid game as well. Very controlled, should I say, despite Bayern Munich having their spells, which they should have at home. But yeah, now thanks for being, thanks for having me on as always. Make sure you like the video, people subscribe, all of that, and then big up the panel as always, man. Yeah, and obviously, last but not least, it's Michael here joining us. Well, I don't know what time is it where you're at right now. Twelve thirty. Twelve thirty. So that's dedication to the game. Dedication, dedication. I'm dedicating myself now to find, finding flights to Milan. That's what I'm doing right now, man. <laughs> uh, there is no way I'm missing that game. I mean, are you kidding me? Milan Derby in the semifinals. It's what football is about. I mean, that the atmosphere at the San Siro is going to be ridiculous. And big up to the panel, big up to Grizz, and big up to everybody in the chat. Remember to hit the like button if you haven't done so already, because we're about to talk about Open Meccano. Ooh, ooh, yeah. Mm. By the way, quickly, are you going first leg or second leg? Got to be mm. second leg, innit? Uh, it has to be second leg. Has to be. Yeah. Uh, it's mad. Like, isn't the San Siro? Getting demolished or renovated? What's they going on? They don't have. They don't. They don't know what they're doing yet because there's so much dispute because they don't own the stadium and then obviously they don't have enough money to really build the stadium. So it's kind of, it's up and yeah. down to see if they're going to re- demolish it and build a new one. Will this yeah, be the first time that the first and second leg has been at the same stadium? Uh, they played against each other in o two o three semifinals. Yeah. Oh really? And you know the what, iconic photo. There, right? You know the iconic oh, photo. Oh yeah, cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, five. Yeah. Is, that when, yep. uh, is that when it was? Uh, Matarazzi AC Milan, Juve, final, was it? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. 2 or 3 yep. Yeah, that, yeah and then yeah, 4 5 was Liverpool, AC Milan. Yeah. Yeah, they, I think they were saying today well, it was the first time in 20 years two Italian teams in the semi final of the Champions League. It's been a long time coming, and it's it's mad. Like, you know what? Let's just get straight into it. We'll start with Inter, just mm. because obviously we're talking about the San Siro and all of that. And we'll start with today's games anyway. Inter, in the end, it was a comfortable game. I know it says 3 3, they were 3 1 up cruising you know towards the end and yeah for me I'm just looking at this inter team in the league they're not <laughs> you know they're not doing much to say the very least but somehow in the Champions League they've managed to conjure up a situation where it's maybe even likely that they'll go to the final now I don't know who you guys uh, favor Sani any thoughts on this inter team like do you think they obviously if they can get past Milan do you give them even any hope if they were to get to a final as well We've seen stranger things, but they have a pragmatic approach. I know this game was 3-3, but they are an ideal side to go far in the Champions League because of the way they play. If I had to favour them over Milan, I probably would just. But it can go either way. It's going to be an unbelievable atmosphere that at the semi-finals. But if you're looking at some of their players, I mean, Barella, for example, I said it last stream, but... He's a special player. I'll take him at Man United. I think he's absolutely fantastic. Bastoni, again, the centre-backs, he's amazing as well. Anana, great keeper. And they've got match winners as well. Like I know people might give Lukaku a lot of stick, but to have someone like him coming off the bench when you need a goal isn't really a bad thing. And it's a shame Benfica's run ended. There's always these good sides that you know provide exciting attacking football, but pragmatism will always win over these sort of teams. And that was shown, I think, over these two legs as well. Yeah, it reminds me a bit of Benfica with um do you remember when Monaco had that year when they went on that that good run and then yeah. they fell short in the semi-finals? I'm not saying that yeah. Benfica are just on that level because I think Monaco had a bit more flair about them, but it gives you that vibe where they're doing well in the league and you're kind of like, oh, can this be their year? Are they gonna do that? And then unfortunately, when you get the big, big test or that test where you know it comes over two legs against a pragmatic team, you just can't quite nail that hurdle. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, 100 percent I was gonna ask Sam. Like looking at Benfica and Inter, because earlier in the season, us guys on, on Eurostars, especially me, 
I feel like and Michael. I don't think I forgot Michael as well. Was we were hyping Benfica, saying they're playing great football, they're doing this and that. But in the Champions League, as a Man City fan as well, I want to get your perspective as a Man City fan. Have you noticed like playing that nice football? Yes, you can do it in the league, but in the Champions League, it's maybe more about the basics, keeping things more simple, and just getting the job done. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a it's a difficult competition to carry momentum from the whole season into it, especially in your league campaign. I think Napoli have shown it in this in this quarterfinal as well. Like they've been Napoli the most informed team in Europe for large large parts of this season. And we have done as well in large parts of the season. But it gets to this this competition and there's something just a little bit different about two legged knockout ties in Europe. And um yeah, over two legs into really got through quite comfortably. They're having a poor league season, but just maybe the way they've set up, the way they play, um you know, quite stereotypical Italian five-three-two sort of formation. It just matched it well against against Benfica, and, and Benfica barely lost the game this season, I think, overall. So, um, yeah, I kind of fancied them in this in this quarter final, but they've come off come off second best. So, yeah, I think playing playing good possession football and you know neat and tidy football and scoring great goals um, isn't really what the Champions League is all about. It's, it's it's a lot of defensive graft, hard work, and kind of playing in moments a lot of the time. Yeah, 100%. Michael, obviously, I did mention a minute ago, I know Benfica was a team that you was feeling this year. Mm. What do you think went wrong for them overall in this tie? Because even I fancied them to get past Inter and they didn't. To be honest, since the international break, they've lost to Porto, then they lost to Inter, and they lost to Chavez. They lost three straight games. They're, they had a nine-point edge in the Liga Portugal. It's now down to four. So this season is really faltering for Benfica in the sense where you just don't see that same team. Like, Gonzalo Ramos is a striker who needs service. When he doesn't get the service, he's anonymous. You need to get the FBI, FBI out there because you just don't see him. <laughs> then you look at guys like Rafa Silva and João Mario. When they've been playing well, Benfica have been playing well. But I think somebody mentioned it as well. Alexander Ball picked up an injury, and that's been really crucial because the right back, Gilberto, yeah, he's not a footballer. Uh, he's not a footballer. Like, Alexander Ball was so crucial to how they attacked, and that was wonderful to see. But Benfica... I just think maybe, maybe if they understood that they would have gone this far in the Champions League and still pushing for Liga Portugal, even though they were in the lead, they should have really sold Enzo earlier in that transfer window and gotten yeah. a midfielder because you sticked with Chiquinho and Florentino Luis, who we know is very good. You should have gotten a better midfielder or moved then Arsenes to the midfield. I don't know why. He, Roger Schmidt is a guy who seems to be, have plan A and that's it. He doesn't change his ways. Yeah. And he kept playing Arsenal out wide and didn't work out. But uh, Benfica got to worry because they might lose that league of Portugal. And that would be really sad for this team who have been playing amazing. You know, they topped a group with, ben with uh, PSG and Juventus. They've been playing amazing all season. I have to say one thing about Inter. First off, Lotharo's first goal since March 5th. Mar March 5th. It was Correa's first goal since October. So you just knew it was Inter's day when, the when these two guys are scoring for the first time in God knows how mm. since Ice Age happened. That's Lautaro is the guy I call him a hot and cold merchant. He's great for three games, but then he goes ice cold for ten games. I don't get it with Lautaro. So maybe yeah. if he can pick up form at the right time, it's gonna help out Inter. They're a cup team. They won the Italia Coppa Italia last season. They're in the Coppa Italia semifinals this season. It's what Inzaghi does. Maybe not the greatest in the league because they can't score for anything. <laughs> they haven't. I don't yeah. think they've won a game since they, March. They lost to, I'm sure they lost to Monza on the weekend. Yeah, they did. They lost one yeah. nil. Yeah. They haven't won a game in Serie A since March 5th. It's craziness. So, 
I I mean Milan Derby in the semi final. I I cannot believe it. Genuinely, I'm that is the most shocking semi final I've seen in a long, long time. Yeah, because... That's that's why I think Michael, whoever wins that other semi is kind of okay. Like like Sani said, it's anything can happen, but it feels like a gimme for a Champions League final. Ty, I mean, you could have said the same thing about Liverpool in 05. I mean, they had no yeah. shot against that AC Milan side and what happened. Mm. So it's football at the end of the day. We never know. Yeah. Do, do you know what's interesting for me as well? Because Benfica have been like spoken about a lot. When you think of their Champions League group, right? And I was going to say it last week, but I wasn't on. They played a Juve team um, in, the, in the Champions League group there. And obviously they got through. But Juve, think of the time when we were just talking about them then. They weren't that yeah, great. Washed. PSG. We know what PSG are like. And then well, Ty, Ty you said PSG would win the Champions League this season. I did. No, I did. I did. But look what ha- what's happened. Exactly. Yeah, mm. look what's happened. But I did, obviously, I did like PSG. But you look at the PSG that I talked about to what she performed. So the Juve and PSG they came up against, we know that they actually they weren't that great. And then they come up against an Inter Milan team that, okay, is okay, but it's not amazing. And they've come unstuck. And you even said it, three defeats going in a row. So it's really like, when I've, when I've stepped back and look at it now, I'm like, was this Benfica team? No, no offence to them. But were they a bit overhyped because the opposition they've actually faced wasn't actually that elite? When you think about it, when you when you when you flip it around, I'm like, mm, maybe maybe this is just the truth about Benfica, despite the hype. Maybe Ty, because we've both been hyping Napoli and Benfica, and look at them now. Since the international break, they don't look like mm-hmm. the same teams. I just think they're running out of gas, and they just don't have the squads to really. I think the the problem with Spalletti and Roger Schmidt is they've been playing the same eleven all season. You have mm-hmm. to rotate, especially when you're going in these competitions. You have to rotate, and I think that's kind of what's faltered Benfica at the later stage of this season. But they got to win the Liga Portugal because if they don't pick up any silverware, <laughs> it's gonna look bad. Mm. Yeah, I have to agree. To be honest, I think what it is with teams like Benfica and Napoli, they were playing really good football. Like for the first like six months of the season, they were flying. They were looking mustard. Obviously, for different reasons. With Napoli, we can say they've just you know lost some steam, which is fair enough. It's probably going to happen at some point. With Benfica, I think Michael makes a great point with that. You know, Rui Costa, Enzo Fernandez holding off on selling him, wanting to keep him. Then you know, in the end, succumbing to Chelsea's obviously offer because I guess Enzo forced the move in the end. But yeah, I think with Benfica, teams like that with Napoli, we get excited about them. It's the same as Ajax, Monaco. You know, we get excited about these teams because it's something different. But really mm-hmm. and truly, they always, always fail. But yeah, I was just going to ask, you know, based um, forget Benfica for a second. I just want to go back to Inter because that first goal for Barella is ridiculous. Brilliant right? goal. Like, I don't know, like, where can this guy go? I know there's links already with the Premier League move. They're talking about Liverpool, etc., Italians for me, whenever I see them getting moved, uh, linked to the move abroad, I don't think it's ever going to happen. But yeah, I don't know. Sani, on Barella, I know you rated him, you know, so high, but how high? Is he like, what What levels are we talking? Are we talking like he could play for Real Madrid kind of levels? Are we talking, yeah, maybe just a bit below that? What are we saying? I mean, for some, he's only 20, I'd say he's only 26, but obviously. Considering his progression since the last couple of seasons, it has been quite stark. I think people are only seeing him now for what type of player he is and how good he is. I mean, personally, with how Man United are and the midfield profile that we need, I think Nico Barella would be ideal. But Real Madrid's one of those questions. I mean, if you look at their midfield that they've got, the fact they're playing Camavinga as a left-back goes to show how good their midfield is right now. Valverde sometimes has been playing out on the right over the last couple of seasons as well. I don't think Nico Barella is Real Madrid quality, 
But people might think, oh, he's not Man United quality. But where Real Madrid are currently in their cycle and where we are, is two completely different things. Um, like I said, I would take him at Manchester United. Whether we get him or not is another question. I don't think he's as expensive as people think, um, given into finances. But again, if they win the Champions League, that's going to inflate their price by at least 20, 30 million. So it's going to be interesting. There's going to be many clubs after him. I don't think he's going to move anywhere in Italy. But if you get him at Man United, great signing. You know what? Just came to my head right now. Because we've got a Man City fan here, I feel like it's perfect to ask. <laughs> Gundogan looks like he's going to leave right in the summer. It looks like there's going to be some space in that Man City midfield. Is Barella someone you would look at? Because he'd been linked to Bellingham and people like this. But Barella, 26 years old, in his prime. Is that something that would make you excited? Um, I'm a big Barella fan as well. <laughs> Had him as a... Yeah, can you hear me okay? Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. He's got a delay. I think he's got a two-second yeah, delay. delay. Yeah, there's a delay. Yeah. yeah. Delay, yeah, you can so hear you, it's fine. Hopefully it sinks back in. Um, yeah, I mean, if we were to go for someone like Barella, I think that would be more of a, if a Bernardo Silva left, I think. I think it was, we've got some similarities in terms of being box-to-box more of an engine. Maybe he's not technically as, as good as Bernardo Silva, but no one really no one really is, to be honest. So in, play, in terms of placing Gundogan, probably, probably not because Gundogan just brings that kind of that foot on the ball like David Silva used to, that kind of calmness in midfield. Barella's a bit more uh, frenetic, sort of likes to play a bit more of a higher tempo. Gundogan is very much like a foot on the ball, control the tempo kind of midfielder. So if Gundogan was, Gundogan was to go, we'd have to find somebody like that, um, I think, I'd be to replace him. But I like Barella a lot. I mean, how can you not really with, with how the level that he plays at consistently? Yeah, 100%. You know what? I think what's a good tie, right? I think we should just move on to the Napoli-Milan game, just because, obviously, the semi-final's already done. We know who's going to play. Let's have a look at, you know, what happened last night. And Ty, what's your thoughts on this game? Because at one stage, it looked like maybe Milan were going to regret, you know, the penalty miss, Mm. the chances that they were having early on. You know, I know Napoli sort of came back into the game. They get their penalty with Kavica. Was it around the 75th minute or something? He's gone and missed. Like, it was. it's a bit of a... Bit of pill to swallow, maybe for Napoli going out. Yeah, do you know what? I think that's a good way of looking at it. I think if I was a Napoli fan and I was waking up today, I'm I'm not I'm not having a good day at work. Put it that way. It's not one of them ones where you can go into work and you're like, okay, do you know what? We got outplayed or we we got beaten, and, and we're out of the Champions League. I feel like this is a big missed opportunity because, like we said, um, uh, Michael said it earlier, a, a Milan. Derby in a semi-final and one of the Milan clubs are getting into a Champions League final. Now, you wouldn't have really predicted that at the start of the season. And when you look at the teams that are going to come back into the Champions League, by the way, we're talking about your club, their Arsenal, we're talking about Manchester United, we're talking about other teams that are going to strengthen. It's going to be very hard for teams like Napoli to maintain the level they've been at this season and not thinking that other teams are not going to improve. Because this year, look at the teams that have, have quite failed, if we're honest. They're not going to fail like that next year. So if, I, if I'm Napoli, I'm gutted. And I think there's a couple of things that stand out to me is um, the penalty miss. I think it was in the 82nd minute, if, I, if I'm right. I don't know why Osman, despite their poor record from penalties, is not grabbing the ball. I'm sorry, but I know you're back from injury and stuff like that. Um, Kravitz missed penalties this year. Osman's missed penalties this year, which I understand. But you're the number nine. You're the guy that everyone's talking about. Use your sort of... If, if For me, it's like a psychological thing. If Kravitz missed a penalty and Osman's missed a penalty, fine, I get it, everyone can miss penalties. But if Osman's grabbing the ball, I feel like the other team and also the belief within you 
and the fans around you believe that you're going to score because you've scored so many goals this season and you're the number nine. So carry that number nine mentality into the penalty. I think him letting Kravitz take, take that penalty already was kind of like a psychological plus for Mike Mannion, if I'm totally honest. And, and them little things can be the difference in football. Now, we've, we've watched football for years. If that penalty goes in, eight minutes plus four minutes stoppage time is a long time in football with momentum. And that could have changed the game. But, you know, we can't sit here and say that Napoli went out because they didn't let someone else take the penalty. They had 180 minutes and they yeah. just weren't good enough at the, you know, they just didn't have that cutting edge and the ruthlessness that they've had earlier in the season. I remember we was on a Eurostar show and we were talking about them playing Juve in the league. And I remember Michael was um, talking about the game like heavily. And then we came back to the week after and they'd beaten Juve like 5-1. And that was like the Napoli you wanted to see in the Champions League semi-finals. But we just didn't get that over two legs. And then Liao, I think obviously, of course, he, he deserves a mention because I know you're a big fan of him, fan of him, Bilal. And I was like, you know what? These sort of games rely on them little moments. And what a moment he produced, you know, getting the ball from inside his own half and just running and running and running. And what I love about him compared to someone like Jaden Sancho right now, coming from a Man United perspective, is that he had made up his mind what he wanted to do. And it was either, right, you are going to tackle me and it's going to be a great tackle, or I'm going to go through and I'm either going to get a shot or goal or an assist. And what a great assist it was. A lot of players can shoot on their left foot from that angle, but no, he used his intelligence. He looked up, he found Giroud and said, no, it's a team game. And he got that big 1-0 like, advantage for, for Milan going into that um, second half. So, yeah, man, I just think it was um, quite a mature performance from Milan over two legs. They'd done what they needed to do. Grinding out one nils is just as important as three nils at home, I always say, in like, these sort of stages. And then they got their away goal. So um, bring on, yeah, the Milan derby. But I think Napoli will be kicking their, kicking themselves because, like I said, the other teams are strengthened next year. And Milan, they did what they needed to do. They didn't have to be, they didn't have to be amazing because Napoli weren't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. I was going to ask Michael... Who do you give the blame more to from the Napoli side? We'll get into Milan and the positives and what we think is going to happen in the semi-final. But are we blaming Spalletti for, for this loss? Are we blaming our injuries and, you know, circumstances? He's got to play in Dombele and, you know, all of these sort of injuries as well. Politano had to come off. You know, Rui had to come off. Is it just more unlucky than anything? What do you think? I mean, if you've been watching up the last couple of weeks, they haven't really been playing that well. I mean, mm. they had... 80% ball position over the weekend against Verona and didn't score. So clearly there is something going on where maybe teams have kind of figured out how to play against Napoli where if you just eliminate Kivara, it's okay. Because that right side for Napoli is non-existent. Like Politano was having a good game and then comes on Chucky Lozano and this guy does nothing. All, he d- does nothing. He has done nothing since moving from PSV where he was great at. But then he makes the move to Napoli. I don't see anything from Chucky Lozano. And yes, they had suspensions to Kim Min-jae and Nguisa. I actually thought Ndombele played a pretty decent game. I know he made the mistake for the Leal, but I think that's just more Leal brilliance right there. Like, the guy just said, like, Ty, I have one objective on my mind, and that's to get past everybody by any means possible. And he did it. And Napoli, I just think they became too one-dimensional and just too predictable. We didn't see that sort of ruthlessness and quick attack. It was a bit too slow build-up. Yeah, give it to Kivara and see what he can do. I, that's not what Napoli have been doing. They've been getting both fullbacks involved in the attack. Mario Rui doing overlapping run after overlapping run. Di Lorenzo doing the same thing. Midfield creating. I didn't. I haven't seen that from Napoli in the last couple of weeks. And that's a big concern. And yeah, maybe some blame should be to Spalletti. But these players have given everything this season. And I see a lot of things on social media play, teams saying or people saying Napoli hype. I mean, 
This nobody in their right mind predicted Napoli to win the Serie A. Nobody. Maybe you had them top four. To win the Serie A and in dominant fashion, nobody. So it's just a mere fact that maybe Napoli, they have never been to this stage. They've never made it to a quarterfinals. Maybe the moment got too big for certain players and especially for Kivara. Bilal, me and you, we love Kivara. I th this guy is going to be a brilliant player. But I think for this game, he showed maybe too much selfishness. He could have easily scored it to Osimhen a couple of times and he didn't and chose his, you know, to be hero ball. Maybe that's what it called. I call it hero ball from Napoli mm. in this game. And Milan, they knew what they had to do. It's not have to be pretty. It's about getting the results and moving on. And Pioli understood it. How to neutralize Napoli in the sense that if you double, triple, quadruple team Kivara, everything's going to be fine. And I think Calabria did an amazing job. And I'll say this again. I saw some people in the chat last time when I said this. Mike Magnan is the best goalkeeper in the world. I, I don't... There is Alisson, there's Courtois, there's Ter Stegen, Onana. Magnan is the best goalkeeper in the world. Of course, he's a former PSG Academy player. Good job, PSG. And Donnarumma is looking more and more stupid with that move. They they sold him because he wanted more money. He goes to cheaper to Milan. And what they have done, they won a Scudetto. And they're in the Champions League semifinals. So Magnan is just a brilliant goalkeeper. It was a poor penalty from Kivara, But I just such a commanding... I think Tomori talked about it yesterday where he said... Once we have that guy in net instead of Tato Ruzano, who's a volleyball player, we're, we know we're good. Everything is fine in, in front of us. So, yeah, look, Napoli, I just think they've kind of run out of gas, similar to Benfica, but they're still having, they had a brilliant season. I think nothing can be taken away. And for Milan, look, the mere fact that Krunic, who I don't rate at all, I don't think this guy's a footballer, is playing CDM and doing a job. It just shows the brilliance of Pioli. Like, nobody gives a lot of credit to Pioli, but tactically how he set up this team where they were conceding goals for fun in January, and now they're nullifying teams, you got to give it to Pioli. Brilliant job. Yeah, honestly, I, for me, you know, I'll get on the Kavara point quickly because, you know, guys, I've been hyping him. Oh, yeah, yeah I've been saying he's this, he's that. But... For me, even that second half, I don't think he played bad. I actually thought he did a few good things. I think what happened was the pressure of maybe Osman not even being fully fit, right, in in that game. He knows he's going to be the one who has to rise. He has to do everything. I think that kind of got to him. He had a few moments where he did get past Calabria, you know, in that second half. But then, you know, the final product would just fail him. And when you get that penalty, for me, against Frankfurt, he missed a penalty as well. So I don't yeah. understand why you would give him another penalty. And I don't know what it is. This is even a side topic. Like, what's going on with professional footballers? You know, scoring a penalty is like... I'm not going to lie. as well. Yeah, when you're at a stadium and you see a penalty, you see the penalty, like, you always think it's going in because it's... The target is so big, but these guys are hitting it wide. They're hitting it over the bar. What is it? Is it pressure? Is it technique? But yeah, it, it must be the pressure, Sani. Like, I, I don't know. What do you think? One million percent pressure. I mean... You didn't mention Gavada and, you know, first half was probably the worst half I've ever seen in play this season. Napoli just was losing the ball. Decision-maker was poor. Second half was better, but first half was not great. But going back to the penalty, pressure does funny things to a lot of good players. You know, you'll see... I remember people always talk about Cristiano Ronaldo's penalties. And I remember the 2011-12 semi-final against Bayern. He missed a penalty. Noah saved it. People would never really think Ronaldo... 08 final with Chelsea winning exactly. the yeah, like... 08 final, missed that penalty, mm. did the stutter. You know, pressure does funny things to great players. And it's a shame because Napoli, you know, everyone was talking about Napoli and, you know, what feel-good factor they've got brought to football this season. But 
you know, it comes back to that question as well, pragmatism, because Milan were literally hitting them on the counter every single time and they look threatening every time on the counter. And if it wasn't for, you know, a poor final ball, they could have probably got a few more goals. I mean, Giroud scored that, scores that penalty in the first half. The game is completely different as well. So, l- listen, I thought Milan was going to go through before the two ties even began. I thought this game was going to be 1-1 as well. And in a weird way, I'm happy to see a Milan derby because... Listen, growing up for all of us on this stream as well, those two clubs gave us a lot of fond memories with the players they had, the games they had, etc. And I'm not saying the players are the same as years gone by, but it's good to see two teams that used to bring such great memories back at the top of the table when it comes to European football. So it's great to see. But like I said, when it comes to penalties, pressure does funny things. I mean, Lionel Messi, a lot of us people, a lot of us here especially, and just people watching as well, say he's the best player of all time. But how many penalties, especially for Argentina, has he missed in the World Ooh. Cup? Well, well, final shootouts in the Copa America, for example, plenty. And it all comes down to that point. Pressure you know what? Could, could, play, just yeah. quickly, could I ask, uh, do you think, right, because the rule on the penalty has changed in terms of goalkeepers, they have mm. to obviously be on their line. Yeah. If you think about it, like, measurements-wise, obviously, they're, they're jumping, Mike Manning's jumping up and down, but he's doing mm. it behind the line. By the time he's come forward, he's then on his line. Do you think instead of keepers being so far forward, the fact that they're so far back, when they do make the decision, they kind of get into the ball later by the time it's travelled. The, the timing, do you think it actually like benefits, basically scientifically, do you think this now benefits goalkeepers? It's, a, it's an interesting one. I'd love to see a stat of keepers. Yeah, who, because you know, I feel like more penalties are more missed now as well. And I don't know if it's just mm. because keepers have to be on their line. They're dancing around at the back. And then by the time they're springing forward, they're on the line and they're just there, like ready by the time the ball travels. I don't know. I'm just thinking scientifically if it helps them, maybe. I mean, if it's scientifically, we don't know. But all I'm saying mm. is maybe De Gea can learn a thing from Mike Minion because he doesn't really save a lot of penalties <laughs> for us as well. Or Lloris. Oh, yeah, or Lloris. But yeah, maybe it's just, I don't know what yeah, it is. Maybe <laughs> these new breed of keepers, they're doing something different. You know, yeah, because I just. You know, MJ even Salah, like Salah last Samuels week, like two penalties in a row, he's been nailed on for years and then he's not even hit yeah, the target. The target. Little things yeah. like that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's, it's a weird but that's one. for me it's, it's not one. the goalkeeper it's the players like you're not hitting the t- if you hit the target like even Kavara pretty much kind of hit the target like it was I understand you missing because I've seen you miss that sort of way before but like some of these guys like Salah's penalty miss uh, Saka's penalty miss the other Harlan day. tonight Harlan tonight like they're not even yeah. hitting the- this is what I don't understand you're not even hitting the target they're just either hitting it wide mm-hmm. or hitting it over the bar and for me like even go back to the World Cup with Harry Kane his penalty against France like mm-hmm. Pressure. How how are you professional footballers? This I don't understand. Like they're doing these things at crucial crucial moments, and that shows. Yeah, pressure is mad because these players. You would think any other situation they're scoring those penalties, but you put them in that specific environment, specific time in the game, and, and they can miss. And even with Haaland's one today, it's a bit like there's not really much pressure, is there? You know, they're three 0 up, like they're cruising, things are going well, and he's still managed to miss. So maybe. Maybe that's a bit of excitement on his side. I don't know how he was feeling. But you know what? I think let's just get into the buying game then. And then, yeah, we talk from there because, yeah, I know you guys. There's some guy's reputation in the Bayern Munich defence who, yeah, it's in the mud. I don't think he's recovering after this, man. Like, he's going to... This is the worst two-legged performance I've ever seen from a centre-back. Like, I did a poll earlier, to, well, just before I came on. I said, who's better, Upa Meccano or Rob Holden? <laughs> And I've gone on the poll now. Wow. I've gone on the poll and I'm seeing Rob Holden's winning. I'm like, you guys are crazy, man. But Upa Meccano, like, I don't know, Michael, what is happening with him? Like and the referee today as well, just before you come in, like, he was he was willing to save his day. You know, he he wanted to send him off earlier. Yep. You know, save him the embarrassment. But 
Yeah, I don't know, man. That goal for Haaland, what's going on? Uh, I don't know. Look, I actually think Obamecano is a quality defender. He's got good qualities to his defense, but I mean, you cannot defend these mistakes. Is, I've seen this too many times in this season and in the World Cup. Like, how many mistakes? Three? And then he got sat down by Holland today? Holland didn't even have to do any move. He didn't have to do a step over. He literally went to lean one way, lean the other way, and open McConnell was on the ground. <laughs> uh, it's just, uh, it's so, it, it's bad for open McConnell because I think he's a quality defender, but you just cannot keep making these mistakes. Do you want me to talk about the game as well? Uh, we can talk about the game, but you know, just on that point there on Haaland, right? Like for me, Haaland's a top top striker. He's a, he's a monster that we've never seen before, really, right? But to get to fall down like the way he did, like he's playing against Messi, like Messi versus Boateng, I don't understand. I don't understand how that's happening. Like I don't know. Are we being too harsh on on Upamecano? Ty, do you think it's not his fault? Bayern as a whole, like if you go to like the likes of Goretzka, Musiala, people that we're saying, oh, he's this and that. Are they to blame as well? It's not just Upamecano, surely. Bilal, first Eurostars, I told you about this team, man. This, yeah, they weren't, they're not ready. They weren't ready to win it for me. I just, yeah, Bayern, they've got, look, I look at their team and they've got some good players, but Kingsley Coleman, you don't look at him and think, oh my God, you know what, like, you're, you're a superstar winger. He's good. He can be very good on his day, but you don't know what Coleman you're going to get. Sane, Sane, Musiala is a very good talent. Chip promoting, I'll be honest. Yes, he's a. I'll probably say he's more of a system player. He's worked well for Bayern this year, but he's not. Oh my god, he's an amazing striker. I just look at this Bayern team and I think Man City are just a better team. It's simple as that for me. Um, no matter what, if they played ten times, fifteen times, twenty times, Man City would go through on two legs for me. I think over the balance of one hundred and eighty minutes, and that's just the way it is. I feel like Bayern's team name carries them more than what the team actually is. Because if you look at it, look, they got knocked out by Freiburg two weeks ago. Um, in the league, we're talking about a Leipzig and Dortmund team that's not amazing, but they're within like three points. You've got Union Berlin like sneakily up there. Like, I just think this Bayern team is just what this Bayern team is. And I think they need a little bit of a revamp. Um, I'm not saying that they've got an old squad. I just feel like they need a bit more. They need some. They need a bit more steel. I feel like they need Inequality. a bit more. You know what you said a few, do you remember about a couple of months ago? You were like the Bayern team, like that sort of Terminator style, the ruthlessness. Yeah. I don't feel like they're that this season. And, I, and they, they, they feel like they need to get back to being like proper German. That's what I want to call it, the, like the proper German way. Um, but for me, Upa Meccano, I think what Michael's saying, I do agree. I think in terms of like his recovery pace, his anticipation of on like transitions, he gets in before like attackers does. I think he has got some good traits and he's bringing out the ball from the back. I think that's actually highly undervalued, if that makes sense. But I just think he always has a moment in him like uh, Ibrahima Kanate, I've always said I preferred him, to be honest, out of the two Leipzig centre-backs, and they were both like, on the market, you could say. But they both seem like... Uh, Ibrahima Kanate, he had his own error himself against Leeds the other day. But yes, he still had a good rest of the performance. So I just feel like them centre-backs, they have their moments. But you just don't want them to have their moments in the biggest games of the season. And unfortunately, that's what's happened. And, and you know, I think I saw... Um, you probably know him, uh, Rimedy. I see him tweet and he was like, oh, to the casuals now, Upper Meccano's failed the test. You'll be getting your hair cut at the barbers and the barbers who don't know football will be like, yeah, he's crap just because they don't really know Upper Meccano like that. But that's, this is what happens because people just watch it with a casual eye like Man City Bayern. I'll watch that game tonight. Judge him after one performance and, and he's done. But for me, I just feel like he's a player that's going to have these kind of errors throughout his career. But whether he has them in the big games or not, I don't know. But 
tonight was a big game and and, and that's Upamakano for you, man. Do you know what the best moment of this game was? Was when Leroy Sané got subbed off and Sadio Mane came on. <laughs> that actually they, happened. They hands. I don't know. They didn't look eye to eye, that's for sure. Mm. Oh, I should have but... kept my eye on it closely because I saw the um, Sane walking, but I didn't. I, I, I just turned away before they, you know, came into contact. And for me, to be honest, right with uh, Tuchel, for me, some things don't really make sense with this lineup. And I don't want to get onto him because he's a top talent, and that's Musiala. And we'll get into Goretzka. That's Goretzka. You know, he's, <laughs> he's good at he's good at the gym, as we like to say. Mm. You know, big him up for that. But <laughs> Musiala, as good as he is. Whenever he has to do something, either he's fallen down, he's lost balance, you know, his best attribute is dribbling, fair enough. His final pass still isn't there, his finishing still isn't there. He just feels a bit raw. Even when I went to go watch him live, Bayern, um, when they beat Barca 3-0, right, he was anonymous in the game. Like, Pedri was running it from the Barca side, I know they lost, but Musiala, like, I don't know, what, what is he missing? Is it too much pressure? And are Bayern missing a trick? Should they have started the likes of Mane, the likes of Muller? more experience. Sam, do you think that would have scared you more, actually, if you, you know, played against Muller, Mane, but you're playing against Musiala, Chupa Moting? Like, I don't know. How do you feel? <laughs> Mane, yeah, because Mane always used to score against us. <laughs> so Mane, absolutely. Um, Thomas Muller, he's, he's just one of those really weird players, isn't he? He's kind of, like, good at nothing, except popping up in the box and bouncing it in off his knee. Um that's just the kind of striker he is. Yeah, he's. Um, I feel like this Bayern team actually over the over the two legs. I don't think they actually played that badly in a lot of a lot of you know large parts of the game. Um, they were causing a lot of damage sort of out wide with their pace. We just were defending the box well and you know consistently throughout throughout the two legs. But um, yeah, there is something a little bit missing with this Bayern side. I think it's the number nine. I think you know going from Lewandowski to Chupamoting. There's a few moments where it's bouncing in around the box and, you know, a world-class number nine, which they've had for, you know, so long with Lewandowski, really, um, and players before him. To go down to Chupin Moting, like Ty said, so, you know, a, a decent all-round player, but he's not really the kind of player you maybe you think going to make a difference in a Champions League quarter-final. Um, so, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's still a good team. It's packed with talent, but they're going for a bit of a, a weird moment. I think bringing... Two shilling at this moment for for Nagelsmann wasn't necessarily a bad decision, but you can perhaps tell it's in the infancy of a of a coach just coming in. You know, he's, he's been there what two weeks. Pep Guardiola's been at City seven years, so you could tell that there's a bit of a imbalance in some moments during the game. But yeah, I think I think it should be a good good fit overall for Bayern. But I think they'll be hunting their number nine and looking to go big on a number nine in the summer because that's uh, that's really where they're missing the. The ruthlessness for me of this of this team at the moment. I like that number nine point, you know, because for me, I'm watching Bayern, and you know, I always gas them up that Terminator feeling, as Ty said, that German, you know, Bayern are the team that will hurt you for no reason. That sort of Bayern, but you can only really do that if you have, for me, a top goalkeeper number one, which summer for me fills me with no confidence as a big team, big club goalkeeper. He just he's just not that guy, and of course that number nine. So, is it a simple fix then? Like, let's say they get an Osimhen. And uh, uh, Mike Mignon, for example, are buying back. Like I don't know, or is that what we're saying? Like Michael, is that what you, we would? Is that what we need from Bayern? Uh, Maybe for them to get into the semi-final. Well, they need the to get a number nine. I mean, you cannot go with Chupomoting and Sadio Mane. I love the guy, but I mean, I think he's gone in the summer already. 
that that experiment is failed miserably because he just it just seems like there's so much tension in the changing room. He's not performing to what maybe Bayern fans expected. And he might be already gone in the summer. So they have to get a Victor Osman, a Vlahovic, Kolo Moani, one of these guys. It, they must sign one. Then Goretzka. Yeah. Uh, this is not the Goretzka we saw in 2020 when he was doing amazing in the COVID season. I, I don't know what this Goretzka is doing. So they need to get another midfielder. I think what they need to do is allow Kimmich to go further up the pitch because he can find that final ball and then find us. A certified CDM. I think that's what Bayern needs. Can I just ask you then, Michael? Do you not think Gravenberg has a future at this club? I don't know. I I don't know, Ty, because we haven't seen him. He's a very good ball carrier and he can can the press as well. He can turn on the half turn and and the Bayern. The Bayern media have said, like, he's going to... They want him to stay for next season. They think he's going to break into the team for the next uh, season. But obviously... If Liverpool can promise him something else, and Man United, like it's going to be tempting. Mm. Like, why just risk it at Bayern when, regardless of the situation, Goretz is going to play every every single week. So I don't know. For me, Bayern, like Sani, when you look at Bayern, do you see them? You know, how far do you think they need to go? You know, to come back to the top table of European football? Because as we say, like this year, Inter, Milan, right? Mm. Both of these teams getting into the semi final. We didn't see this happening. Next season, Man United. Arsenal, all of these teams, Man City are going to get even stronger. You never know what other teams, even in Spain, Atletico Madrid might come back, you know. Bayern might not have the opportunity, especially in the market, if they can't, can't compete, if they can't go and sign an Osman, where do they actually go from here? It's a, it's a good question because one thing Bayern Munich have always been known for is never overspending and spending big in the transfer market. They're always a team that spends a little bit of money, very efficient with their money. That's just the way the club has always been run. And looking, you know, into the market, and Austin is not going to be cheap. Maybe a Kolo Muani, maybe a Vlahovic. But again, the problem with some of these strikers are, are Bayern Munich really going to be patient enough to let them flourish? Especially Kolo Muani. Like, he's a good player, but... Sani, Sani, sorry to interrupt you. Your headphones, like, yeah, you're trying to hold your headphones because when it's moving, it's like proper coming through the interference on the mic. Got it, got it, got it. How's that? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, sorry, sorry. All right, no worries. I was just saying, Kolo Mouani, for example, young player, got a lot of ability, but do you think Bayern fans are going to be patient enough to let him flourish into what he could potentially be? I don't think so. Midfield's a big issue for them. I know we're going to get on to uh, Goretzka, but Kimmich, we know what he brings, but Goretzka, like you said, he probably benches 200 in the in the gym, but he doesn't drop 200 performances on in the season. It's ridiculous. Um, he also, if you look at their defence as well, I mean... Spare a thought for Cancelo. I mean, we've got a Man City fan on the stream as well in Sam, but he went to Bayern with a thought that oh, I might, might be getting something here. And the team that he's just left has progressed further than him. And shout out Nathan Ake, for example. A lot of people weren't really saying too much about him this season, but he's been great for Manchester City. So, listen, Bayern, I think, over the coming seasons, they have a lot of work to do. Strikers key, midfield, they need to sort that out. And they need to probably ease a few players out. Like, I love Thomas Muller, but if they're serious about the future, they need to probably ease out Muller maybe more often. I mean, I'm not, I was kind of surprised he didn't start this game, to be honest. I thought he was going to start, but clearly Tuchel had other ideas. I mean, he got sent off as well, which is crazy. But listen, Bayern, they're going through a really serious patch here where if they don't win the league this year, serious conversations are going to be had. They sack Tuchel, yeah, getting Potter. This one, you know what? I actually thought, I actually thought before, before I know we spoke about it before in the stream about what happens if they lose the league, but I won't be surprised if they got rid of him if they don't win the league. Oh, to be honest, 
I, I, I don't know. I think they'll give Tuchel time. I think he, he fits mm. in with the hierarchy. I think that was the main thing. I don't think Nagelsmann, as much as, you know, some of us were trying to clown him when he got sacked. <laughs> really and truly, the reason he got sacked because he didn't fit in with the, the, the board, you know, at Bayern Munich. The traditional club, you know, conservative. You know, it's one of those ones when a young manager's coming in, maybe... He looked like he's Fresh friends idea, with Mola. Yeah, exactly. They might not want to hear yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, no yeah, respects. Yeah. It's one of those kind of things. But forget Bayern for now. Let's go to the main team of this tie, and that is Man City. And for me, like Man City are scary, man. I'm not going to lie to you. The way Man City are now the defending in the box, right? They don't look like they're going to concede. Yes, I know Combe and Sane at times did stretch them, which is, can happen. They're top players. They've got pace, everything. But whenever it really got dangerous, the Man City players just snuff it out. And I don't know, Sam, do you feel more confident in this defence than ever before? Because next up, it's going to be Real Madrid. It's going to be Vinicius. It's going to be Benzema. It's going to be Rodrigo. Is this Man City team now at the point where they can actually stop these guys? I hope so. <laughs> um, I mean, at the start, I said about this team being more complete, a bit different, perhaps defensively, than to what Pepper's, Pepper's built before. Um, and I think I said it before. I love players like Cancelo and Zinchenko, and they bring they brought so much to our team and how we played in possession. But out of possession, and maybe Wolves just like a little bit of chink of arm, you know, chink in the armor there. And in the Champions League, teams will find it. Um, and I think Pep said it after. I think it was after the Leipzig game that you know City have never had a problem scoring goals in the Champions League. It's defensively where we've had a problem. You know, conceding four or five goals over two legs to Spurs, five six over two legs to Monaco. Um, last season, conceding five goals over two legs to Madrid, you know, we, we we were scoring plenty of goals ourselves, but it's the clean sheets and the defensive where we've had to tighten up. And, and this team, with the players that we've got and the quality going forward, will find goals, create moments and, and chances. And we've got a, an absolute, you know, monster at the top of the pitch to take those chances when they come along as well. It's defensively that we've got to we've got to maintain this now, maintain this balance. I think Pep has been working on it. Basically, since we come back from the World Cup, this system um, looks a bit dicey early on, but now it's kind of coming into its own and the patience has, has paid off, really, it seems. So, yeah, we just got to keep it going. I feel like actually Real Madrid maybe have slightly less pace going forward than this Bayern team overall. Obviously, we've got Vinicius. Um, Rodrigo maybe isn't, you know, absolutely lightning quick. He's still really good. But aside from that, there's maybe not as much pace in this Bayern team. So, um, we could see a Kyle Walker come in, maybe. Um, I was just about to ask you a question. <laughs> Do you think with this formation, Vinicius, because the way he hug, hugs the touchline and we know mm. what he's like, obviously, down that right-hand side. Akanji's very good in 1v1 duels, by the way. I actually think your four centre-backs, 1v1 duels-wise, the home leg, I was like, this was brilliant. I even said to you next day when you came back, when yeah. you drove back, I was like, Sam, like 1v1, they were brilliant. But does Vinicius make... Pep revert from that formation. He's either one player that can make him tinkle. Or do you think no? Pep is not going to overthink. He's going to play with my team to beat you, rather than I'm going to try and stop you and win that way. Because I think that's what's hurt him in the few Champions Leagues. Yeah, I think if if we were playing John Stones at right back and he was coming into midfield from right back, then maybe he would move Kyle Walker out there instead. But because it's a Kanji, it might not be as much of a as much of a tweak to just move Kyle Walker out there because Stones is now coming into midfield from the centre-back position and Akanji's playing right-back. So actually to swap Akanji with Walker doesn't feel like it's going to change as much. That could be something he reverts to. Um, and then on the other side, I suppose the only 
the only one negative really from tonight was that Nathan Ake did go off with what like a hamstring injury. And we've just got to see about whether Laporte can play that position because right now it feels like we're down to minus one left back, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I mean, Laporte, it, we'll see how he gets on. He's probably going to play the next two, three, four games just looking at that injury. Um, Ake is so good in that. He's quite a small and nimble centre-half who can play that that hybrid role perfectly and he can be good 1v1 like, he's, like he was in the first leg and he was at times tonight. It's just whether Laporte can you know, compete 1v1 the same. He's obviously a lot taller than Ake. Can he be nimble enough to get out to, you know, wingers like Rodrigo, like Saka next week? Oh, just about to say. Ake, not, not sure. Going to have to see. Mm. I mean, Laporte did play away at Anfield once against Salah and he didn't do well. So, we'll have yeah, to see. And but we've got, got no Saka yeah, very much in two no, games. We've got no one else who can play out there. Mm. Really, unless he puts Bernardo Silva there. I, <laughs> Chappie, I, think, I think if that's a couple... Like, if that's a bad injury and he keeps him out for quite a while, you know, for the rest of the season, I think that's going to be big because the one thing with Aki, even when he was coming up through Chelsea, all of that, like he was a left back, like he was playing left back. It was the same left back, centre back. That's normal for him. Someone like Laporte is not used to that. But I would say the one thing that Pep did do early on in the season was put Bernardo Silva there. So maybe that's something he'll look at again. And then you go Mara's out wide. I don't know, Michael, shaking your head. Is that not something that you like? I'm no, because Pep is a madman. He's a mad scientist. So you know he could be cooking up something like that where he plays Bernardo. But I have to say, Man City professional performance. I think Ty said that at the earlier in the stream. Mm. Man City acted like they've been in Europe before and they've won the Champions League before with this performance. And that's you got to give a lot of credit to them. Although I would say Bayern did easily get in behind Man City's defense. And if you're gonna allow that to Rodrigo, Vinicius Jr., Benzema, although Benzema didn't have a great game yesterday. That is a little bit of a worry, but attacking-wise, when you have this Norwegian freak who's not even from this planet, who just keeps on scoring and scoring, that's going to give a headache to Real Madrid, especially with no Edmilitao in the first leg. I think Man City can definitely take advantage of that. And we saw KDB didn't, didn't have his greatest... Huh? Oh, my God. This I didn't is... know that. Um... Yeah, Edmilitao, he's suspended for the first leg. So <sighs> that's that's, And I think he's been the best centre-back in Europe, one of the best centre-backs in Europe this season. So that's going to be a big miss. So we'll Rudiger and Alaba then. Yep, Rudiger and Alaba. So, ah, look, it's going to be very intriguing to see. I think Pep is going to keep on playing team. the same way. But if Ake is injured, and I think Ake has been one of the best left-backs, that's a bit of a scary for Pep. That's a bit of a scare. But I, I just checked, actually. The second leg is in uh, in Manchester. So yeah. let's see how it's going to go. Let's and see how what, it's going to go. Are they? Man City 25 unbeaten at home in the league. I yeah. think the second leg being at Manchester... It's a big is, plus. It's a big plus, especially when you think yeah. of what happened last year. They're going to want revenge yep. on Real Madrid. And and we all know Real Madrid, like, they never really come out of gear three, but also I don't think they have a gear five. They just win games in gear three. I think that's the difference. When people say, oh, they didn't really, Real Madrid didn't have to, like, get out of the, like, second gear and stuff. I just don't think Real Madrid have gears. I just think they play one way and either wins games or it doesn't. I don't think they have gears. I might be wrong, but I, I don't think Real Madrid have gears. Yeah, Perfect. That you know what? You know, when you look at the first leg from Real Madrid to Chelsea, and I know we'll touch on that game, but the amount of space that Chelsea got in that first leg at the Bernabeu, I, all I thought of, if this is if this is Man City, they're two three 0 up in ten minutes, yeah. and yeah. that's what I'm thinking about going into that that semi final. But yeah, sorry. Even was it last season, right? The the Man City Real Madrid and like Man City should have well, they cooked them. They did. You know, it mm. just ended up somehow Real Madrid. Out of nowhere, being Real Madrid, they get you know through the tie. But Man City showed already, like when they play, 
uh, they can yeah they can cause Real Madrid serious damage. But the thing with Real Madrid, again, it was in the end a simple job. Like even that second goal, I watched it again. Like, I was I didn't understand. <laughs> I tried to count how many passes they did before they scored. Like it was thirty passes. So easy. Thirty passes. Like it was so so easy, you know, for Real Madrid. But of course Chelsea. Like, it's just a complete mess at Chelsea. So we can focus on them towards the end. But Real Madrid, can they do it again? Can they stop this Man City potential treble? Because certain teams in other competitions, we don't know what they can do. But Real Madrid, surely you can put money on them to stop Man City. Sani, are you are you confident in this? Listen, I'm praying. I'm on my knees every night, just hoping the treble doesn't happen. I mean, Sam's smirking there. He's going to go into work, torment Ty. I mean, I, I, I feel sorry for Ty because if this happens, I'll probably call in sick for like the first week, ha- annual leave for the next three weeks. I just don't want to see Sam. Honestly. I've got Dap to deal with as well. And he's oh, worse. God. God, oh, I feel for him, man. man. I feel for him. We've got to be better Repeat, with Ty treble. It's not it's looking sorry. good, Brev. It's not looking good. And listen, Madrid, the one thing they do have our big game players, Rodrigo again turned up for them in another biggish game. Because Chelsea, you know, if they had their shooting boots on for a few of their players, like Kante had a pretty big chance, for example, you know, it could have been interesting if they got the first goal. But listen, once Madrid get their first, got the first goal, the tie was over. Rodrigo got his second. Another Sui at the bridge. Bad memories for Chelsea. Sani, remember they tried to get Ronaldo in the summer. At least they got their see you in the end. <laughs> it, all works, it all works in its, you know, weird ways. I mean, I'm pretty sure Thanos has got his quote. How does it go? You could not live with your own failure. But where did that bring you? Back to me. And that's exactly what happened for Chelsea. Because then mine, I got Chelsea. Then mine, I got uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. But they got their Suey all right. But that midfield again, unbelievable midfield. Valverde, what a player he is. But one thing I will say, and, you know, Ty mentioned it. You can get at this Real Madrid side. And the fullbacks, I think, are a key way where Manchester City can win that semi-final. Hmm. Yeah, 100%. I don't know. I look at this Real Madrid team and I don't know. I just see I just see a team that just know how to get through the games. I know we're talking about Edda Militao that he's going to miss the game, right? But Rudiger's just going to come in, right? Even if Rudiger's not there, where's Nacho? He'll probably come and just do a job. You know, this is just Real Madrid. They just find a, a way to do it. And I think that aura and that belief they have within their team as well sometimes just gets them through the line. Who wants to go on Chelsea, though, quickly? Because... Mm. That lineup is um, interesting, to say the very least. What was your reaction, you know, Sam, when you saw that lineup for Chelsea? How did how were they going to score with this for <laughs> with this lineup? Every time they had a chance in the game as well, went to Kante, and Kante, to be honest, <laughs> as great as a ball winner he is, he's not a great finisher. He's not even a great footballer, in my opinion. So I don't know how they thought they you know they were going to score, but yeah, so yeah on that Chelsea team. Oh, they're just a mess right now, Chelsea, aren't they? I mean, they're. I'm still in the camp they should have stick with Graham Potter and I think he might have actually not won the tie but maybe just put up more respectable performance or even lineups in these in these games because now they've gone to Lampard who you know has obviously been there before and and ultimately didn't didn't end well then he was managing Everton basically into the relegation zone so that's the level of manager they've, they've currently got and the level of experience and it kind of showed with the team that he put out i think he was just he wasn't really sure how to approach it tactically so he thought you know i'll just stick as many midfielders in here as possible and, and hope we can try and control the game in some some form um yeah there's just, just there's no real identity at the moment at chelsea at all they've got a, a squad of 30 players kicking around it's just a complete complete mess and um 
yeah, apparently the chairman's going in and doing half-time team talks and full-time team talks. It's just like, it's like something out of Ted Lasso, isn't it? So, yeah, we'll have to, um, we'll have to see if they can get it sorted in the summer, trim that squad, get more of a direction, get a proper coaching and, and go from there. Because, yeah, that lineup was, um, it wasn't, it wasn't good when you're chasing a 2-0, a 2-0 tie and you've got a lot of kind of Champions League experience left on the bench as well, really. I mean, Sterling, the Man City fan can be extremely frustrating at times, but you know he's actually bagged quite a few goals in the Champions League, and they could have done with somebody just out there with a bit more experience in this in this competition. And instead, they're Conor Gallagher. I don't know. It just shows maybe the amount of money they've just wasted. Ty, like if you can, if you're going to put a Champions League lineup, you need to come back. You need to score at least three goals, you know, to win the game. And then Sterling, how much did it cost? 70 million was 60 million? I don't know. Mudrick, it's about nearly 100 million. Mm. Chow Felix, that's a 20 million pound loan for just six months. And you don't start any of them. Like, Ty, what does that say about Chelsea? Is this a situation where it's going to take maybe not one season to fix, maybe like two, three, four, five seasons even with the amount of money spent already? I don't. I don't actually. Um, I look at this Chelsea team and eight of those players... I'm happy with. I actually think, you know what, they're the base they're going into next season. Gallagher shouldn't be there. Kane obviously shouldn't be in the positions he's in. And the number nine, I think someone said it earlier, if they had a number nine, you know, they could have scored in that game. I actually don't think Chelsea played that bad over the two legs. They just didn't have someone to put the ball in the back of the net. They could have easily been one up. Cucurella, look at that chance he missed in the 45th minute just before the halftime whistle. The Kante one, like you said, it falls to. And we all know in Champions League, once... You go one nil down, and you know the other team's got momentum at home. Anything can happen, and this is this is not Chelsea who are not used to the Champions League. This is Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. They win games at Stamford Bridge. Their yeah. record is, do you know what I mean? It is good. Um, so I feel like for them, if they had just adjusted the lineup a bit, I think this Real Madrid team could have been got at. They had joy in the first leg, apart from obviously once Ben Chilwell got sent off. But again, like they just fell short, and I think the biggest. The biggest thing for me with Chelsea, which will speed up their process and make it not a three, four-year and five-year job, is once they get a manager that they know is sorted and hopefully it's, it's done but before the end of the season, the first thing they've got to do is come in in pre-season and get that squad from 33 down to 20 and say, right, Bowley, you've spent money in the areas. Obviously, I'm going to keep them players you've just signed. But these are the players that need to go they can't do this Vitesse loan business. They need to actually sell these players. Bakayogo, I think, is still on their books. Uh, I might be wrong. But like, it is, when you actually think about it, there's a lot of players that need to be moved on and then they can actually sort out their squad. Because right now, I think me and Sam were talking about it at work. When Graham Potter was there, he's trying to like train with 30 people in the squad. He's got Badia Shilly, who I actually really like as a left centre-back. Left he's not in the Champions League squad but he should be based on who he is and his ability and stuff like that. But then you've got to try and keep the morale and then you've got to play players in the Premier League and then back to the Champions League. I think it was very hard for Graham Potter of all them players coming in to then keep the balance of the squad and also keep players that are higher level ability happy. So the first job the manager's got to do is come in in the summer and say, right, these are the players I'm keeping and these are the players I'm not. Get that squad trimmed down because I think the base is there. I've already said it. If Chelsea get, you know, and Kunku's already coming in the summer, if they get a proper number nine, and Kunku can play everywhere, but a proper number nine, and then they can sort out maybe another position in midfield because Kante and Kovacic's legs can't be relied upon. They've got something to work with, especially with that back three formation and Reese James and Chilwell, for example. So I don't think they're that far off. And the perfect example to look at is, of course, going back to the Premier League. 
No one expected Bilal, your team, Arsenal, to be challenging for the title, and you didn't either. But it just goes to show that the gap isn't that big. And I'm sitting here as a Man United fan saying the same. We get Champions League football and get the right three or four players in in the summer, we can bridge that gap as well. So Chelsea are not that far off. I don't think it takes long at all. It's just about the manager being brutal with decisions. So then, Ty, who's the manager? <sighs> and who wants to take that job? Yeah, well, we know that Lucas Enrique's been ruled out today. So, um, oh wow, not yeah, Lewis Enrique's been ruled out today here by Matt Law. Matt Law is very reliable if he said it. Oh, yeah, so, with um, Chelsea, yeah, yeah, very with Chelsea. Um, obviously, Nagelsmann seems the, the routine pick, but if it was me, I'm going Pochettino. I really am. I, I think oh, I'd look at Pochettino, I'd look at Pochettino. I really think with the and the, but the do you think? But do you think Pochettino is that ruthless sort of manager? Will he say, "Okay, you guys, you go away, and you keep bro, them"? I, bro, do you know what? I'll be real with you. When he was at Spurs, and he was working with Paul Mitchell, who's going to leave Monaco at the end of the season. Yeah, he was very good in terms of their like chemistry and what they did, and the players they brought in, and the decisions they made. They, no one was really talking about a Spurs struggling to get rid of this player or they struggling to bring in this player. It was very. I felt like it was a car with four wheels, and the engine it was a Ford Fiesta. You're just going to get it every day. It's going to work. No problems. And I feel like with Pochettino right now, the age demographic of Chelsea, despite the experienced players like Thiago Silva, Kante, and, and I understand that, and Kovacic, I feel like the players they've brought in are the perfect age for someone like Poch. And I know he's been at Spurs, and I get it. And I know he didn't do great at PSG, but he still obviously won. But it happens to all managers. I just feel like he might be the perfect balance they're looking for. Because Enrique might come in, and even though he's authoritative and stuff like that, some of the plays might not sync with him as a, on, a, on a mental level, whereas I feel Poch could find the balance. And Chelsea right now just need balance with a coach who can play good football. And he's good with that age profile of the 24-23s, which a lot, a lot of the players have got. That's a wild shout for me, yeah. maybe. But I think Poch... I don't mind that. Okay. Yeah, I don't mind that as a shout. There's a lot of logic there. I think I think with, with, with clubs like Chelsea and, and like Tyson, with some of the bigger clubs, especially in England... You're never because of the quality of the squad and how much investment's already been in place. You're never that far away from turning it around. You know, it only takes a good coach, a bit of structure, and all of a sudden some good players can come together and stuff. You know, starts to happen quite quickly. Arsenal, obviously, an example of the jump they've made this season. Even United at the start of the season when they lost to Brentford and Brighton. You're thinking, you know, as a City fan, I was like, you know, this could be a relegation battle going here. But, <laughs> you know, t- good manager, Ten Hag, good coach, gets the players, gets the system, gets it working. You know. There is a lot. I mean, there is literally a lot to work there at Chelsea in terms of players. It's just someone who can come in, trim it, work out what he wants, and and go with that. I think Poch could do that. I mean, when when Poch took over at Spurs, they were a bit of a mess as well. That squad. It was a bit of a mismatch of Villas Boas and Redknapp and other managers before. A few players needed shifting out. They had like Adebayor and some, you know, a few Esso Esso and some like random players that needed kind of moving on. And he did that quite well and you know, ended up making a quite an exciting attacking and very sort of energetic hungry Spurs team. Um yeah, I think it's not a bad bad shout in terms of what's what's out there at the moment. Yeah. Who's your shout honest... who's your who's your shouts? Well f- go well for me, I have said like if they can get Ancelotti that'd be my first choice. Like because obviously it looks like he might leave Real Madrid. That sort of manager would be great. If not, I would go for like a Conte. They need us for me as like a Chelsea need to stick with their heritage and get a proper manager who it's not about pretty football and all of that. It's about getting results. And I think that's the way Chelsea have been. But I now think, to be honest, right, I'm looking at Chelsea and I think the issue isn't the players anymore. It's not the manager. I think the issue is Todd Bowley and the ownership, to be honest. like I don't understand why they're coming into the changing room at full time. 
while they're going in and every two seconds they're changing things and they're getting they're getting involved way too much. You know, it's like the manager doesn't have any power. And I think mm-hmm. if they do get the next manager in, right, they need to give him full control. You need to sign something that says Todd Bowley, you can't come to the changing room. Like all of this sort of stuff because if Todd Bowley and these and Eric Bali and all of these guys keep on coming to the change room after a defeat, you know, it just undermines the manager. It just makes the players confused. I just I just think it's never gonna work if they keep doing that. So yeah, I don't know, Michael, for you who you think Chelsea maybe should go for. Uh, it's a tough decision because I mean I, I hear uh Ty Shao, he's sounding like Potter's agent because he's making it sound very good, but uh, look Pochettino is a good manager but I just think you need somebody ruthless at Chelsea right now you gotta say to some players get the heck out of this club I'm looking at Conor Gallagher especially I'm looking at Kaya Havertz they gotta move on these guys they have tried and tested with these players and they have not succeeded so move them on so will Julian Nagelsmann will he do that I don't really think so I don't think he's a ruthless manager even though he got rid of sort of Lewandowski I look at Luis Enrique, obviously now he's ruled out. I think that would have been a good choice, but then the sort of personnel, does he really fit their system? There is so much, and I agree with you, Bilal. Look, coming from a half-American, this I don't know if you guys follow NFL. Does anybody follow NFL here? I like NFL, yeah. Okay, so you know what Todd Bowley reminds me of? Jerry Jones. <laughs> How about them Cowboys? <laughs> now, he honestly, Todd Bowley is the Jerry Jones of football right now. It is scary. If I was Todd, Todd, I'm looking at you right now. Stick to America, eat your corn dogs, drink your beer, and don't get involved. When Chelsea call you and say, send over the money, you do it. Don't get involved with tactics or t- talk about winning 3-0 against Madrid. Just stick to giving the money. That's it. I just think he's getting too much involved. It's great that he's at the games and he he's looking like trying to be a good owner, but you're getting too much involved, which I respect, but also it's different in, in Europe when it comes to football. In America, they're... The owners are expected to be very involved with the squad and talk to the players and this sort of stuff. In Europe, we don't really see it. Ty, when was the last time the Glaciers talked to the players? Ever? I couldn't tell you, you know. Exactly. You know, it only so, happens where? It only happens where in, like, Italy, for example, where the owners yeah, are, the, you know, they're the from the city. They're like a fan of the club. Like, it's completely yeah. different. Like, they un- understand the club, even if they're right or wrong, right? But someone like a Todd Bowley, you've come from America, you don't, and I don't want to be like xenophobic, be like, oh, Americans don't know football. No, that's not the point. The no. point is when you especially come into an English team to, and you start spending money like this. Like, for example, if you're Nagelsmann now and Chelsea offer you the job, but then Todd Bowley's not giving you any assurances that he's not going to get too involved with the team. He's not going to get too involved in the in the actual dressing room. Like, the changing room should be like the place of sanctity yeah. you know, between the players and the manager. I don't understand how he can keep coming in. And for me, if he keeps doing that, there's going to be top managers. Imagine Conte. A Mourinho. Do you think they're gonna accept this guy coming in every? T- They'll just quit. Yeah, They'll just say, "No, no, no I'm, no I'm not taking this." Anymore. But one last thing: Frank Lampard never take a footballing job again as a manager. I'm sorry. That this cannot. How you are starting Connor Gallagher in the Ted role, the creative role, Connor Gallagher. As somebody <laughs> said here in Finland, he wouldn't even be able to manage in the Finnish first division. That's how bad of a manager he is. And I don't. What is it now? Seventeen games, no wins for this guy, right? Something crazy like that. Yeah, well, like, 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 like eighteen games. Yeah, I think it's like eighteen wow. games or something. He has not won or something. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Oh, they, if if the British press are going to try and back this guy and say he's a decent manager still, and you know Jamie Redmack go, going up and saying, "Oh, give him time. He's he can get. He understands Chelsea Chelsea DNA." I'm sorry. This is football. This is not a pep show or where you try and big up your friends. 
you gotta be ruthless. And Frank Lampard is simply not a good manager. I'm. It's just facts. Steven Gerrard, I love the player. As a manager, he cannot be a top manager. We have seen it with Aston Villa. Best one out of them, Michael, is in the championship. It's Michael Carrick out of them. Not... Yeah, it's looking like it. And you know what? And Carrick for me is the smartest footballer of all of them. And you know what, Ty? Michael Carrick is doing the right thing. He's taking his time with Middlesbrough. Mm. If you're Michael Carrick, do not take that Spurs job. Do not do it. Mm. Same with Vincent Company. I respect these managers. Yeah, Yeah, because they they grind Mm. out the work. I think Frank Lampard took the Chelsea job job too early and it just got too much pressure and he didn't really work on the fundamentals. You know what's even more funny? Bruno, the interim manager, has a pro license. Frank Lampard doesn't have a pro license. He has a UEFA A license. So Bruno wait, wait, is wait. Co- So ahead. has Lampard been managing this whole time without a pro license? <laughs> yes. I checked that oh. out. I checked that on transfer marks. Bruno, oh, cool. the interim manager, is more qualified manager than Frank Lampard. <laughs> it's crazy. Wow. wow. That's actually mad. That's actually blowing my mind. I honestly thought, surely you get all your badges to managing the Premier League. Like, unless, yeah, it's like the media connections, you know, they're, they're doing bits for him, but... On Chelsea, they're out of it. Real Madrid are through. Man City are through. I think it's time for some semi-final predictions, man. Um, who wants to go first? Sani, you want to go first with the Inter versus uh, Milan, the Milan derby? Yep. Let's got? do it. God. Big, big, big game. If I had to put my money on it, I'm just going to go AC Milan. Um, I think they've just got a bit of a spark when they really need it, that they'll pull it off. I mean, in the league, we all know what's happened. We all know what happened in the Supercoppa as well. You know, Inter put a 3-0 hammering, but that was early on in the season. I just got a feeling Milan are just cooking at the right time. They're doing all right in the league, just a bit better than Inter Milan. But listen, semi-finals, derby, anything can happen. So I'm going AC Milan in that one. And then, oh God, Man City, Real Madrid. My, uh, my heart says Real Madrid, my head says Man City. I think this is the year Man City do win the Champions League and I think Man City are going to beat Real Madrid. So I think Man City win and Milan win. Sam? <laughs> uh, the Milan derby for me is a bit of a coin toss. I think maybe I'd just side of AC Milan. Just about. Um, I know it's a completely set of players, but I think there is, you know, as, as I've found out many, many a time, that I think having some sort of history in your club in the Champions League does have some sort of psychological difference. Can't quite put my finger on why, but it does seem to be that way. And I feel like AC Milan obviously really resonate with that competition. And I think I think they'll just about get over the line. Um, but it, it's, it's a real towing cost. That's against Madrid. <laughs> um yeah, I, th- I, th- I think we're going to beat Madrid this time. Book your flight to Insta- Istanbul. I think, I, I think we're going to beat Madrid this time. Yeah, uh, this is a club. Uh, um, you'll never get a Man City fan saying that confidently, but um, yeah, I do. I do think we'll get we'll get revenge time. We should have beaten them last time. Hopefully, we finish the job this time. Um, if we defend well, we'll win the tie. Mm, nice. No, I agree. I agree. I'm I'm going to go Man City to go through. I think it'll be quite convincing if I'm honest. I don't think we're going to see too much from Real Madrid over two legs. Um, even I'm writing them the best team off of the history of the Champions League. And then um, I'm going to flip the script. I'm going to go into Milan to go through over two legs. I just think, you know, with like someone said Lukaku off the bench, I like the way they set up in this 3-5-2. I think they'll be able to stifle AC when they need to and get the goal when they need to. I don't think there'll be many goals in it. I think it could be like a 1-0 a into 1-0 into something like that. But I just think they might, they might just grind this one out. So I'm going to go with Inter. 
Right. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Inter as well because they're just the cup merchants right now. That's what they these that's what these guys are. Maybe Lautaro's finding form at the right moment, and I think this is Man City's year as well. I just think yeah. they're on the right. They're on a collision course to finally win the Champions League. If they don't do it this year, now I honestly don't think they will ever do it because they yeah, they right. have a great chance in the final. Especially you're not going up. Well, you're going up against Heritage, but these Serie A teams are not the greatest. But you know what it is? Man City are just cooking at the right time. Although I just need to see how long Aki's out for because I really think he's crucial to how Pep wants to play with this new formation. But yeah, I'll go slightly with Man City. But anybody who thinks this is going to be a write-off for Real Madrid. You always back against Real Madrid. They always show up. So we'll see what happens. I think the fact, yeah. by the way, just look at it, by the way, the dates of that. I didn't realize it was that far away. That's a month. That's like. the um, second leg now. So the oh, first okay. leg okay. is... Yeah. Let me see what the first the leg is. The week on the Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, cool. So we'll see. But um, yeah, I suppose, yeah, we'll see then. Three weeks. Yeah, 100%. When does I don't the know league finish, uh, actually? What day? <sighs> must, must be... I'll check now. Sometime so that would probably be like match day 34, 35, somewhere around then. 28th is the last day of the Premier League. Okay, yeah, yeah so it'll be 34, yeah. 35, yep. And the season. Yeah. And, and the following week. Really yeah. Champions League follows like June the 10th. 10th yeah, June the 10th. And yeah. then Serie A finishes the week after the Premier League. So it could be interesting. If oh, Inter well, and AC are in the top four race, then... Okay, you know. they won't be rotating, yeah. It's only been happening the last few years, right, where there's been like a three-week wait in between the Premier League finishing and then the Champions League final. Like, it's a long, long time. Well, I don't remember la- last, last season was, like, only two weeks or a week after the Premier League finished, and we had the champ. Well, that's because of the COVID season, but now it's a bit more because yeah. there's no international uh, cup competitions. But what could be interesting, though, for Manchester City is if they make the... Tra- if they'll probably make the FA Cup final. Say if, it, say if we progress, me and Ty progress past... Me and Ty, it's like we're on the pitch, but say if we <laughs> progress past Brighton... We've played them the week before the Champions League final, so that could be interesting as well if they're really going for the treble, you know? Mm. Yeah, it's all sorts of mad. For me in the predictions, I obviously don't know that Milan derby. It's either pick your poison, Giroud or Lautaro. Who's a bigger bozo? That's the way I'm looking at it, man. Wow. I'm just being a hater, man. I'm not going to lie. But yeah, Man City for me are the favourites, are the favourites to win this competition. I think if Man City don't win it this year... Uh, but I think that's a damn shame to be honest if you're Man City because they're so they're so just so much better than every other team in this competition. But that semi final, Man City run with us. It looks like the final, right? To us, if yeah. We're just looking at it that way. But yeah, I think we've covered pretty much everything, guys. And it's been a great show. If you haven't already, make sure you hit the like and subscribe button. Follow up, everyone. You can see the ads in here as well. And yeah, we'll be back with you guys next time. <laughs>